five, four, three, two, one. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. See if they could work together when we needed them to. To fight the battles that we never could. the newest podcast here on The Journey Position. It is The Journey Through Infinity. My name is Jennifer Smith. Joining me on my on my journey is um, a trio of handsome gentlemen. I'm so lucky to have them on this show. Uh, first up, you might know him from The Place to Be podcast and um, several others on the wrestling feed at Place to Be Nation. It is Justin Rosero. How are you, Justin? I'm good. I didn't know if it was going to be me or Scott. I was excited either way because yeah, of the tease the there. Edge in there. Um, yeah. Your mm-hmm. partner uh, on that show and from Main Event and from several other podcasts on the PlayStation Pop Feed, Scott Griscolo. How are you doing, Scott? I'm well. And I was actually, I wasn't sure who, where you were going either. That was kind of wild. I don't think that's ever happened before where I wasn't sure. Was we're just be, getting uh, started, baby. Thing. It's going to get wilder. <laughs> it is going to get wild. This is unprecedented for, uh, for, for JR and I because I don't think when was the last time we actually were together on a non-ensemble show anywhere? Um, on the 90210 podcast we just did on Talking Pop not that long ago. Yeah, that is quite true. So, Yeah, but I mean, that was an, no, that was an ensemble too, though. I'm talking about like oh. you and I are specifically the guests. It's yeah. been a long time. Where the big boys play. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> 15, 10, 12 years ago. Anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. I love being on the pilot for brand new shows. This is going to be very exciting. All right. Pumped. This is where the big girls play. Um, speaking of which, hi Tim, how you doing? <laughs> yes, speaking of big boy. <laughs> knew that knew that was gonna happen. Shit. Pleasure as always, Scott. That was a softball uh, right there, Tim. Yeah, that really was. It, <laughs> Justin. That was a meatball. Yeah. The meatball. <laughs> meatball. Uh Justin, I wasn't sure if it was gonna be Justin J T or no, Jenny always breaks K I'm not allowed to be J T. Sorry. Yeah. That's how I roll. Um, all right, so what had happened was um, Disney Plus was a thing mm-hmm. and still is a is huge a thing, yeah. thing. And um, so I knew I wanted to do some sort of Disney project, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And um, so, you know, of course, in all the chats, they're all buzzing about Disney and what everybody's watching. And, um, Justin, you said that you've never seen any of the Marvel movies, so you were going to start your big watch Mm-hmm. Um, going through them all, and I thought that that was an interesting premise because on your shows, you're usually the one who knows everything, and you're oh. teaching and telling 
people about them. So I thought that we would flip it a little bit and have a bunch of nerds tell you what's up. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling about this? Feeling good. Feeling warmed up. Mm-hmm. I am now a Marvel expert because I've seen all of the Netflix shows, which most of you nerds haven't even done. That is true. So that mm-hmm. puts me ahead of most of you as far as comic fandom goes. Uh, so no, I had watched all those. <laughs> sure. <Wow. laughs> I also read like part of 1963 Marvel. Uh, but no, uh, Scott and I talked quite a bit about the Netflix Marvel stuff on the Halloween episode of Place Podcast. And I was awaiting Disney Plus to come out so I could finally watch all these movies that everyone talks about. Uh, I've somehow stayed fairly spoiler free. Like I know little things here and there, but n- not not enough to like ruin any of the experience for me. And uh, I thought it'd be cool. And when you and Tim brought up the idea of doing the show on your feed to talk about the journey, I thought it was kind of cool. And I know Scott and I had talked about it, so I felt like a good opportunity to bring us together and you guys to walk me through. I took some notes, and I'm excited to get started. Well, Justin, I feel like this goes back to an idea a little bit that you and I had talked about off and on over the years where you're like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to do more with comics. I'm not a big comics guy at all. I don't know if I even want to get into comics necessarily, but just to learn more about the medium and, and to have that introduction as kind of a, a JT learns comics project almost. And, you know, we needed like, you of course are the student, the subject need a subject matter expert as well. And, mm-hmm. It was sort of hard to get that going, I thought, because there's just it's so dense. There's and there's so much material. It, it takes a lot of prep time to really say, okay, here here are some comics. Now go forth and read. <laughs> you know, it's it's um, a little bit daunting, I think. Not to say oh, it's sure. totally unrealistic, but this was sort of maybe a logical extension of that. You know, you'd watched the Netflix shows and really are more well-versed in those shows at, at this point. Um, embarrassingly enough, I kind of forgot that there was a season two of Punisher um, until you guys <laughs> talked about it and reminded me. It's like, oh, yeah, I need to watch that. But, um, you know, I, I've read and loved comics for many, many years, uh, know these MCU movies from front to back. So I was really glad that you wanted to dive into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and this all came together very quickly, and mm-hmm. I'm just really enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I think part of the issue with the reading was like just a time thing for me. I like to actually, yeah. I was just having a hard time finding the time to sit. And you know, as cool as I looked on my phone, like on the app, it was still kind of a struggle sometimes following them on there. With with the movies and the shows, just it just was my gym time. You know, it's like I was doing yeah, this anyway, yeah. and it, just, it was easy for me to watch them and get through. And it actually helps push me through. Um, so that's what ended up making it easier. So I was really excited to have this additional outlet to learn and, you know, about the characters and about and kind of actually be on board. Like if another one does come out, I don't know what, what's coming going forward. I don't know if things actually ended in this universe and they re- I have no idea. Uh, but maybe I can actually watch it live, you know, <laughs> versus a decade later. Uh, but yeah, that, that part of it is cool. Like to actually be involved now. Scott, Not how do you this. feel about reliving all of this? Like, are you ready? Because I had to like... I had to like really try to find a place where I was going to be ready to do this. I'm actually not quite sure that I am, but I'm still going to do it. But how do you feel about restarting this? Um, I'm I'm all in on on watching all of these again. I, I have, believe it or not, I think um, I have a better memory for the early ones than I do the later ones. Believe it or not, even the ones that like I just saw like this year. Really? Um, 
Yeah, like the the two that were the two that we're going to do this evening. I um, I actually know pretty well. I actually didn't. Ha- I I started watching one of them this morning. I'm like, wait a minute. I I just watched this like a while ago. I don't need to watch this again. And the second one I know very well. So I feel like as we get along, I'm definitely going to need to watch them again. Like I was saying to you guys that in terms of movie franchises, pretty much Star Wars and James Bond are my gig. So those I can do like the back of my hand. But the Marvel ones, even though I've seen them a few of them multiple times, I don't retain it. So I feel like it's really cool that we're like we're like layered tonight with on this show. We're going to have you and Tim who are are very versed in them and me who is but have a, have a few holes that need to fill and then we got JR who has nothing. So I think it's actually kind of a cool leveling uh, that we're all going to maybe learn something different that maybe we didn't know before. So I'm kind of excited. I I, I, I understand what you're thinking, though, because when I opened up the Disney Plus app today, and I'm like, fuck, this is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shit ton of movies. I mean, and JR, we're not talking like we're not talking like a raw house show or anything. <laughs> As the movies progress, they get progressively longer. Well, so yeah, the, the good thing for me is like it, they actually I feel like they've flown because I was so used to the slow exposition of the Marvel shows. I mean, those are, th- you know, 13 episodes, hour right. full. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sure. I mean, that was taking me 13 hours to get through, like, the Dare- Daredevil story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now right. it's like, fuck, the heel turns within, like, an hour. You know, it's like, <laughs> like all this stuff happens so fast. I, w- I was kind of caught off guard watching Iron Man 1 uh, with how fast everything develops. Because you just I'm, when I'm watching my superhero stuff, I'm not used to it being this cadence yet. I'm going to obviously start already start to get there now with the things moving quicker. But I think I'll end up getting through these a little bit quicker than I did those shows. But, um, yeah, no, just having them available uh, w- was cool for me and, and being able to mm. get on board. But daunting is a good verb, though, because yeah. uh, or adjective, because it it's a lot of movies. I mean, it's just because the story is just so detailed and you really got to, you know, you really deep dive into it. And, and you don't even scratch the surface, really, of the story for a bit. I mean, again, I won't spoil it for you, JR, but... Um, you got a while to go before you even get into really the meat and potatoes, which is actually pretty fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to to hopping in again. It's gonna be yeah. a it is well, a trek. That's right. I sure. think too, I'm coming in with like clean eyes and a clean slate to these. So, I mean, not that you guys don't appreciate the movies. I know you love a lot of them, uh, but for me, like, I have no preconceptions of these characters. You know, what I mean, so like, I don't know what so and so is supposed to look like or how they're supposed to act or what they did in the book and why it's different than the movie. You know, like, right. so to me, these are the characters and that's it. Um, I think I may struggle, and I don't think this is a problem with this universe, right? I don't think anyone from the shows I've watched shows up in any of these. No. Okay. No. So, like, I think I would struggle there. Like, if I had to go watch that Ben Affleck Daredevil, I'd probably struggle because I know the Daredevil that I want to know. You know, so it's <laughs> stuff like that I think I'd have problems with. Uh, but since this is all new characters to me, I think this is just how I'm going to see them going forward. So that's that gets into kind of some of the grounding questions i wanted to ask just to get your background to set the stage for folks who may not be aware of exactly what they've signed up for with this podcast (laughs) um but to say that you're kind of coming at this as a uh, blank slate Mm -hmm. did you read any comics growing up or or at any point in your life did you like superheroes or know one company's superheroes from another any of that stuff uh, so I read the, uh, picture Bible as a kid. That was a comic book version <laughs> of the Bible that I had. Fair enough. So Jesus um, was a superhero. That, all of them yeah, were really Moses. Oh, well, yeah. Noah. Yes. Yeah. Jacob and Esau. Uh, but yeah, they all are, um, 
<laughs> All superheroes to me. It's a form of <laughs> sequential storytelling. Sure. Yeah. Those accounts. Uh, but no, honestly, I didn't. I, I don't know why they didn't cross my bow at all. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't even remember even being a big thing when I was in school. Like, I don't remember kids being huge. I don't know if it was just, I mean, we grew up at the same time. So, like, I don't think it's a time period thing. Much, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I don't know what it was. It was, uh, I think I just got so big into wrestling by the time I was like nine. And, like, that was it. Like, I was super into that. Like, even, like, G.I. Joe and, like, stuff like that, like, I was, like, kind of into, but not as big as a lot of other kids were. Mm-hmm. I'd say Transformers and the wrestling were, like, my big two that I remember. And the A-Team. I was super into the A-Team. Um, but, you know, I just, I never read them. I, I don't know why. I, my parents just never bought them. Uh, I started doing a wrestling magazine, so, like, that was kind of my books, you know, that I read. And, like, yeah. I just wanted those. And then, I, like, I was aware of the big ones, like, Superman, obviously. Like, I saw the Batman movies in the 90s. Um, I actually went to the theater, like, to the ones in the late 90s to see those. Uh, the Spider-Mans in the early 2000s with Tobey Maguire. Like, I saw all those in the theater. So the Batmans or Christian Bale. So, like, I knew the basics, you know? And Infamous, I think I said this on the PTV. I saw the Silver Surfer from Fantastic Four in the theater. Sure, sure. Um, so, like, I had some awareness, obviously. But, I mean, if you would have had me, like, give me a list and say, who's DC, who's Marvel, what's that? Like, I, you know, I wouldn't know. Like, I didn't know Iron Fist until I watched the Marvel show. Like, so, you know, I had a limit of what I knew and how deep it went. Uh, I thought Iron Fist was going to be, like, full-on Asian. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know it was, like, uh, mm-hmm. like I, it was, was going to be Iron Fist. Um, I know it does make sense, yes. Right at the So, like, that one I had no clue. Full-on Asian. I remember, I remember Daredevil just from the Ben Affleck movie. I'd never seen it, so like I had heard of these various characters, but I didn't know a ton about them. Luke Cage, I didn't know at all. So, would it be safe to say as well? And stop me if this is a leading question, but when they're when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. and movies that are based on Marvel characters but are not necessarily part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that a distinction that means anything to you? Uh, yes, only because I am now so ensconced in these group chats and awareness of it is pretty high from you guys all talking about it. I think like, I kind of understand the difference. I don't know why certain ones are in certain places. Okay. I just know that starting with this movie, the first one I watched there's a common thread that brings them all together by the end. Okay. We will talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Like, I don't know why Daredevil is not in this world. I mean, like, I don't understand yeah. that. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I just don't know. Uh, but I understand that there is a difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Jenny, did you have any questions no, for our I guest? No, covered it pretty well. Um, so obviously the first movie that we're going to cover is from 2008. It is called Iron Man. Um, I have complex Iron Man feelings, <laughs> and uh, you will all hear about them at length through the next 22 movies. So, um, sorry about that in advance. Tim, did you have some background information you wanted to cover on Iron Man? Sure. We are, of course, starting with Iron Man. It is the premier entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Marvel Studios. What's Marvel Studios? Well, basically an in-house production company uh, formed by Marvel Entertainment Group. And this would allow Marvel to create films that are based on their own characters. So they'll retain complete creative and financial control of their properties in this way. 
And the problem in 2008 when they formed Marvel Studios is that the rights to most of their major characters were scattered throughout many, many different competing studios. So Marvel itself wasn't left with a lot to work with. You may think of the X-Men films, those being made by 20th Century Fox through licensing arrangements that took place in the 90s. Uh, Same story with the Fantastic Four. Both of those movies, which, uh, JT, you are a fan of the second installment, I understand. So good. Yeah, so good. Yeah, when that surfer way. turns silver. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Hmm. So, and of course, you have uh, Spider-Man tied up with uh, Sony Pictures as well. You had a successful trilogy of Spider-Man movies leading up to the formation of Marvel Studios in 2008. So, what's Marvel to do? What have we actually got? We can't use lots of our major characters, other studios are making films based on them. Who do we have left? Well, we have Iron Man. He's a somewhat significant character within just the context of the Marvel Comics universe, but safe to say, not really that recognizable to the general public. And that's where I'll toss out another question to you guys. Uh, Prior to 2008, both you, Scott, you, Justin, even up to you, Jenny, were you familiar at all with the character of Iron Man? I think I knew oh, yeah. the name, but I didn't read any of it or anything. Mm-hmm. Scott, I actually, you... I love Iron Man. I, I actually okay. have, I actually have uh, one of the original Marvel. I worked in a comic book store for three years, uh, so I and one of my dearest friends that that, that uh, Justin and I knew. Um, owned a comic store, so I, I was in the late 90s. I mean, I read comics when I was a kid in the 80s, mostly Marvel. I think all my DC stuff was TV, which is kind of funny. But um, And I got the uh, Essential. Remember those black and white, the Essential? Oh, yeah. The Essentials. Well, I have the Essential Iron Man Volumes 1 and 2. Um, so I know the story very well. I like Tony as a character, and I like Iron Man. I love the colors. I like the gold and, and red. Um my uh one of the issues that i have framed uh i have I, right now it's in a box which is stupid i got i got is the one from i don't remember what year it was the one where tony's staring in the mirror and he's oh, fucking yeah. shit faced with a bottle of whiskey yeah i don't know demon what year in a bottle. yeah yep demon in a bottle uh, 70 uh, 75 76 something like that and uh so no i'm very i i'm very uh with iron man big time and so I was pumped that he was the first one that they uh, that they went with, and it made sense as you go down the line. It made perfect sense, but yeah, no, I knew Iron Man very well. Yep. So this is pretty much what Marvel Studios has to work with. They are kind of trying to feast on the scraps here because the rights to their big, most recognizable characters are going to be essentially held up in perpetuity as long as the other studios are regularly churning out movies, which. For the most part, they have been. Um, Now, there are cases where certain studios stopped making films based on Marvel characters, Daredevil being an example of that, Blade being an example of that, and those rights have reverted to Marvel. So we will see these characters being folded into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, potentially. Of course, you have the Daredevil Netflix series, as we've discussed. 
So slow, slowly but surely, they've been consolidating these properties, and they have acquired 20, 20th Century Fox as well. They've got the X-Men. They've got Fantastic Four back. Really, the only character still out there in the wind is Spider-Man, who they have made arrangements to uh, still utilize in some limited fashion. But back in the days of 2008, it's Iron Man. It's a few related characters within what you could consider the Avengers family of characters. And they're going to make a go of it here. So following the development of this film... Like, throughout 2007, I can say for my part, I thought it was going to be pretty good. I was cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, I I thought it could be a decent movie to turn a modest profit for this small, new, little upstart studio. Um, I had no idea it would enjoy the massive success that it did and, and just serve as this incredible foundation for, like, the biggest money-making film franchise ever at this point, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that it all goes back to this one little film we're going to take a look at from 2008. Um, and let's take into account, too, yeah. Tim, that let's take into account, too, that in the mid-90s, Marvel was broke. Right. This I is, mean, they were practically on the verge of bankruptcy. They needed yeah. this badly. They, they went through bankruptcy, and that was in the late 90s, had sort of gotten back on their feet in the, in the early 2000s. Um, at least mm-hmm. their comics line was stable enough. Like, you could still kind of knock it down with a feather, I think, but they were making good choices creatively, right. um, smart decisions as well. So they were getting by, and this was still a pretty big gamble. I mean, forming this film studio and thinking um, that they're going to see, you know, really any level of success, certainly as quickly as they did, that had to exceed all expectations. Um, Scott, what about you? Did you follow the development of this film at all? Yes and no. Um, I, I knew that this was the first one and I was pumped at the casting a little did I realize that as I watched the movie, which we'll talk about as we move along, that the, they made a casting, I think, mistake that they would correct based on the actor to choosing to not come back, um, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was seeing it because at the time, don't forget, uh, Batman Begins came out that was two years before. Five. Five. And I think actually a- this year, 08, yeah. I think, is when Dark Knight came out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, this was a big deal for, and I think this movie came out in May. Let me see. Mm-hmm. May 2nd. So, this was actually coming out before Dark Knight. So, most of the 2000s for Marvel characters was the X-Men movies, which were hit or miss. And the three Tobies, which were, they weren't horrible. Uh, I guess it depends on your point of view. Like, JR, obviously, having practically no background, you liked them, right? The Tobies? Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely the first one I liked a lot. And which one was the second one? Was that Sandman? No, that was the third one. Second one was uh, uh, Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, yeah, no, they were all good. Even the Sandman one, I thought was fine. Even though it, okay. they kind of jammed in him and uh, Topher Grace into the same one, which yeah, was yes. a little bit heavy. But that was a Sony thing. That was yeah. a Sony. Um, but no, I, I I do like those movies actually. Okay, and, all right. Now um, again, like, like the ride a lot at Islands right. in Universal Studios, but <laughs> right. Yeah, but I mean, but again, like for Tim, Jenny, and I, who are you know, we've experienced reading Spider Man and knowing the background, the movies were definitely hit or miss. And then the two Garfield, our Andrew Garfields, were fucking her- unwatchable dreck um in my opinion yeah, anyway. that would come after this yeah uh <laughs> yeah exactly rough. well that's because sony was realizing they were running out of time on the licensing or something was going on they rushed yeah, that, yeah. they brushed that garbage off but anyway i didn't mean to interrupt you tim i'm just saying that no, it no. was it was a big t- it was definitely i was definitely getting excited because again iron man was one of my favorite marvel guys um my favorite marvel guy is the next movie and i know jenny and i have a scrum mm-hmm. but uh but um uh, I was pumped for this one. I was glad that they picked. I didn't know a lot of the background of like who had licensing and who was in charge and that kind of jazz. But but Iron Man was definitely one I was excited about going first because I mean let's be honest. In two thousand eight, I know we kind of knew sort of what they were doing, but you know we now will look ahead eleven years and we have no fucking clue <laughs> how this was going to end. Mm-hmm. So we were just like, wow, cool superhero movie, neat. Exactly. You know, Jenny, were you were you on the ground floor of this? No, I'm, I'm not really one to like follow development of movies really that much. I just, you know, just your normal exposure to it and, you know, the trailers and the whatever, whatever's, but you know, I, yeah. I wasn't super following it, but, um, I, I have been a Robert Downey Jr. fan for a long time. So, um, that was exciting for me. Um, his casting in this. Mm-hmm. Was this yeah. kind of his comeback? I forget. Was that the? This was like a kind of a surprise, right? That they went with him. Yeah, um, he had done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think. Love that movie. Uh, right before. Oh, he had done uh, Zodiac before mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So he had. This was about a year into his comeback, but this was like what put him back on the map as a superstar, right? Um, and that was actually a huge financial risk by the mm-hmm. studio. Like they, they had trouble like getting him insured because of all his past indiscretions and everything. I was like, no, we, you just need to find somebody else. Like this guy, he's a, he's a washout basically. He's unreliable. You know what? And there is nobody else because he is Tony that's, Stark. And that was John Favreau, the director's position as well. Like he... In studying the character, he was noting all of these similarities between Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. Not just the likeness, which is pretty spot on, but uh, just in terms of their life stories. And really, he he fought for it. So what we end up is a compromise where Robert Downey Jr. is actually like third build in this movie, but behind his co-stars and Gwyneth Paltrow and... Terrence Howard, like they made bigger bucks for this than Robert Downey Jr., which is crazy to think about. And I'm sure Jeff Bridges probably didn't. Probably uh, pretty hefty uh, hefty check. And he was in um, you know, was Tropic Thunder before this? That was kind of his first comeback, wasn't it? That was was, was after this movie, same year. Tropic Thunder came out in uh, August. This came out in May. There you go. So um, he would do the Sherlock Holmes movies after this, also. Mm. Yes. So that, that would be the following year, two thousand nine. That was the first movie. Mm-hmm. Then the sequel was two thousand eleven. 
So basically, most of the movies in the two thousands, most of the movies you made in the two thousands were all supporting roles, like Kiss, Kiss, Bang, right. Bang, Good Night and Good Luck, Shaggy Dog, Shaggy DA, Shaggy, no, not the Shaggy DA. They should make a, they should make a remake. Shaggy DA, Shaggy DA is a Disney Plus movie. Um, yeah, so RDJ, he made a uh, half a million dollars for this movie. That was a what? Which I know it's. For you and me, nothing to sneeze at, but right. come on. For, you oh think a, a, a star of this caliber, unreal. Mm-hmm. I, I do understand that he cut some kind of like back-end deal where he would get uh, a portion of the merchandise associated with this and any subsequent properties, which I have to figure that turned out to be pretty lucrative for him. Yeah, probably so. Quite, quite shrewd on his part. So he made up for that difference, I think. But um, yeah, it's just it's hard to believe what a world uh, we could be living in where Robert Downey Jr. was not Tony Stark. Um, I understand that Tom Cruise though was also under consideration. So, Jenny, perhaps conflict complex feelings there. Is that the case for you? Yeah, um, yeah, I do love me some Tom Cruise, but there, this is the only Tony that should ever exist, ever. I think I'm with you there. Um, so, we're not going to like live watch it or anything, but we wanted to no. kind of go through and um, talk about it. And I don't, I, I don't know that you rewatched it, Tim, because you said you pretty much knew it. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Did you have time to rewatch the movie? Um, I didn't rewatch it all the way through, but I refreshed my memory on things that I was a little bit fuzzy on. But yeah, I mean, I had just watched this few months back in anticipation of Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. So I still felt like it was pretty fresh in the mind. And I've seen it many times, uh, you know, since its release. So this is one that Scott had mentioned Star Wars. And I think it's the Star Wars franchise in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where I, I really, really feel like I do know the films um, and can talk about them without having just seen them. And that's not really true of any other movies for me. So, yeah, this is a, this is a big one for me. Um, so I put it on and I was like, okay, I was considering, you know, doing the podcast and all that stuff. And I'm like, I ended up getting sucked back into it. Like mm-hmm. I was watching it with fresh eyes because I know the ending. And so it's all just, um, it's kind of like reliving everything again. And there were so many parts about this movie that I forgot how freaking good it was. Like I was still blown away. Even after all these years, it was unbelievable. It, it definitely has that same effect where I just, even if I'm sitting down to watch it in just kind of an academic sense, I'm going to get pulled in and just lose myself to the movie. Uh, it, it does have that uh, very pronounced effect. And I love that we open with really hitting the ground running here. We mm-hmm. meet Tony right away. He's like this fast-talking billionaire genius playboy industrialist like they establish all that so quickly um on this military convoy he's kind of cutting up with these guys there's a myspace mention which just (laughs) blows my mind (laughs) that was pretty awesome i'm like man and he's sipping his drink like a you know like a tumbler uh in the caravan which is just classic yeah 
Very oh, it's tremendous. And uh, gets blown up by an, a missile that is bearing his name, Stark Industries. Uh, we get the zoom out and look at his life, sort of, le- or really just the days leading up to this. Some helpful exposition telling mm-hmm. us what his life was, how he's, you know, this uh, kind of child prodigy and. His father was Howard Stark, this weapons developer, and he dies, and we get the intro to Obadiah Stane as well, who is now Tony's right-hand man, but steered the family business until Tony came of age. So all of this is really um, efficiently delivered as he is receiving this this award at at Caesar's Palace, uh, which he no-shows, and... Obadiah steps in to uh, accept in his stead. So, where are you at at this point, JT? Do you do you like the character of Tony Stark? Uh, do you feel like you you get him? Do you want to spend more time with him? Yeah, I thought they did a good job out of the gate, kind of establishing. Uh, I thought the scene where like they're afraid to talk to him because you initially, you know, me not knowing much about him, I'm thinking, okay, like he's kind of an asshole or so, you know, like they're like, but it turns out that just like kind of awestruck and starstruck, and that ends up playing out more whenever a female or anyone else kind of is around him, they get sucked in by his charisma mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of fall for him, you know, in different ways, whether as a friend or an idol or as a dude you want to bang. Um, so I think it's. Like they they establish that right away through that scene. Like, okay, this is a guy that everyone's just kind of in awe of. This superstar. Um, and it's funny because it's not intuitive that like a weapons dealer would be like a megastar, you know. So mm-hmm. I think they have some work to do to explain why, but they do a pretty good job, I think, of it, of getting over why he's pretty well known by a guy that in real life you're not going to probably know the CEO of the biggest weapons distributor in the country. I mean, I don't, I don't know if any of you do, but uh, so there's a little bit of jump there to understand why he's like this pop culture icon, you know? Yeah. He's so eccentric. He's larger than life just in terms of his personality. Um, And he puts himself out there just living in that public spotlight. Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to JT, we get this scene of the reporter, Christine Everhart, who kind of, confronts him and is, you know, bringing up all this shit about how he's an arms dealer, essentially, and he's a war profiteer. And he gives this little speech. It's rather convincing, just justifying his company's position. And you're kind of like, all right, I can sort of see that. You know, I'm not... The whole time, at least to me, I'm thinking I shouldn't like this guy, but he just has that sort of infectious charm to him and it makes for an entertaining um, character study if, if nothing else in this movie. So I'm pretty hooked and I'm, I'm thinking that RDJ is really killing it here. And this mm-hmm. reporter, he then uh, promptly fucks. Yeah, so right. yeah. Um, yep. Waste no time there either. We, uh, that brings us to him. the palatial. Yeah. The, the palatial Malibu estate. Look at this place. What real estate porn, right? <laughs> awesome. And uh, never quite heard those words together, but now I have. Hell yeah! And you, I'm a better you, man for it. <laughs> you can put porn <laughs> behind anything and, and make it a lot better. Um, Pepper Potts is the executive assistant to Tony Stark, and she sort of greets uh, Christine, the reporter, with this chilly reception. <laughs> <laughs> Throws her out. You know, I uh, think that 
Pepper Potts is um, underrated in the MCU. Uh-huh. Um, on this rewatch, I found myself really impressed by her in a way that I wasn't. I think it's just because Tony's so overwhelming um, that she is just sort of like a steady like light and presence for him um, that yep. I feel like most people kind of overlook that. And their connection was pretty obvious, even though downplayed. Not, I mean, it's not the typical, like, comic book romance that you've got going on with those two. But because she's very, like, she's very classy and um, reserved and smart and trying to, like, actually run his businesses for him. Like, you know, do everything for him, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that she's just, was just... I mean, it's subtle, but um, impactful for me on this watch for some reason. Yeah, I I definitely like the way that she just handles him. Yes. He's someone who, in a lot of ways, is a bit of a man-child, right? Where he kind of needs to be pointed in the right direction just in terms of practical matters. And she does that. And you get the sense right away that there's this extensive shared history between them. She's been doing this for years. She's very good at her job. Uh, But they do have this personal relationship as well. They have that very funny kind of repartee, the two of them, that they uh, really will lean into in subsequent films. But uh, it's it's surprisingly heartfelt at the same time. So and, and she's not as like sucked in by the charisma. No. I mean, she is a little bit, but she also can, like you said, handle him and um, deflect some of that because she knows it's all bullshit for the most part. Mm-hmm. And they took some cinematic license here because in the books, uh, Pepper was much older. Uh, she was almost like a like a mo- like a mother figure to Tony, uh, slightly slightly older. Um, uh, I don't think they approached, if I remember correctly, they, I mean, they never really approached romances in the books, per se. Yeah, really so, just kind of in the 60s where it was this weird, almost sitcom set up. Well, <laughs> no, she no, like no. had a thing going on with uh, Happy, the, the chauffeur, mm-hmm. um, played by John Favreau in these films, uh, and ultimately Mary's happy in the comics but really? she intended yep yep um i remember them being a thing like in the 90s uh but she and tony maybe had an on again off again sort of thing but she was never really depicted as like his one true only or anything right. like that. he always had other girlfriends other i mean fiancés even on the side Shallow Hal kind of ruined Gwyneth Paltrow for me. Like, really? honestly, it, well, I, whenever I saw her in this movie, because I don't know, just the way she taught her voice, like, it just sounded very a lot. Because I feel like when she's doing this, like, quiet kind of reserved, like, well, Jenny said class or whatever. It, like, that's kind of what she plays in that movie too. So it just reminded me a lot of her in that movie, and also I could keep picture with Shallow Hal stuff while I was watching her scenes <laughs> and hearing her talk. <laughs> hmm. That's funny. Great movie, by the way. What if Pepper Potts was in a fat suit? <laughs> well, then it would be even more like Michelle. How wouldn't it? Her and Fat Thor are going to get together. But that, <laughs> that's uh, getting ahead of ourselves significantly. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Um, okay, so, so you struggled a little bit with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and her just 
Gwyneth Paltrow in this. <laughs> oh yeah, she was. I mean, she was fine in the. Like I thought she was fine in the role. I had no problem with this. It. Is that she, her character just was reminding me of the character in Shallow House. So I just were kind of conflating the two as I was going along. I got you. Now, what do you make of the military liaison, Colonel James Rhodey Rhodes in this Dusty film? Rhodes. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, played by Terrence Howard. Here, he's sort of. Tony's friend on the side, but also kind of stern, um, not afraid to kick back and relax, even though he puts up a. See, I, he, I feel like gets, they didn't do a. I feel like they didn't do a great job of establishing like how good of friends they were. Yeah. At least not at first. At first, it seems like he's just a handler for this trip, and he like doesn't want to deal with them. Like the way they portray him in the beginning, like even when he gets drunk on the plane with them, and they're talking like. That almost felt like they were just met for the first time in a way, like, and he loosened them up and got them to drink. And but, but like, then all of a sudden you find out they were like buddies from way back. So okay, obviously they drank together and partied together before. So that that part I didn't think was like a hundred percent crystal clear uh, for a bit. But I do like him. I thought he was pretty good in the role to the point where even I've started Iron Man two now, and I know that obviously there's a change there. Uh, and I was actually a little disappointed, even though the mm. actor name is bigger and whatnot. But. Um, I thought Terrence Howard did a good job in that actual role. I thought he was enjoyable as that character. Okay, but so me too. It's like um, it's it's a mystery to me, like which of these people are new and which are in the comics. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I didn't know yeah. if he was for the movie or in the throwaway guy, or but as I read the wiki page, like I read, okay, he was actually in the comics and part of this whole story. Uh, so I'm still like learning that part of it too. Like when these randoms show up, are they actual part of the you know legacy and the uh, the books, or is it just all right? We created this guy for the movie to push the story. That's something I go back and forth on, just wondering how much research or independent study I would encourage you to do outside of the podcast. Like, I don't know how fresh I want it to be, just in terms of your knowledge. And I'm not going to research at all. I may look I up stuff think- after, but I'll rely on you guys for questions or whatnot. Like, yeah, that's what I did for the Netflix shows. Like, I didn't read anything. I didn't want to know anything. I just wanted to completely go in 100% fresh. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yep. So we've got kind of our key players in place now. Uh, um, we catch back up to the scene, the opening scene where Tony is injured in Afghanistan, wakes up in this cave essentially, and has a electromagnet sticking out of his chest that's plugged into a car battery and this is preventing shrapnel from reaching his heart all this was done by his fellow prisoner yen sin who is um imprisoned by this terrorist cell we are going to come to know as the 10 rings so Mm -hmm. some plot development here and these guys are ordering tony to build a weapon for them they want a Jericho missile, much like the one he demonstrated earlier to the very impressed uh, U.S. military. And at first he is refusing. Uh, he's very obstinate, um, but gets a little pep talk from Yen Sin, who uh, kind of talks Tony into double-crossing these guys and, you know, build this weapon, but... Let's use it to uh, to your own advantage, facilitate an escape here. And uh, that's going to propel the next few minutes of the film. Uh, we get the sequence of 
Tony extracting a palladium core from one of his missiles, and he's making this miniature arc reactor that he's going to replace the electromagnet with, and we learn that it has the energy to power something um, much, much bigger. And that's right. where we get the suit of armor, Here's right? Here's one of my questions for Justin. Um, what did you think about Inventor Tony? What did I think about him? Um, yeah. No, I, I liked it. Like, I thought that was a good aspect of his character because they play him off like, you know, he's, oh, he's just a charismatic playboy. He's his daddy's company, like all this stuff. But they also made sure to introduce early on that, you know, he's kind of a genius as well, right? He was 16, was MIT, like all that stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good mix of he's not just a dude running a successful company that's hot. He's also like real smart and can build this stuff. And like, that's what he truly is good at and loves, you know, is that part of it? Yeah. We are leaning heavy into the pseudoscience at this point. Are you having any trouble just in terms of the like suspension of disbelief? Is that even really a thing? Yeah, I've been watching wrestling since 1990. Is that even a thing? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no issue there. No, I, I mean, whatever it is, what it is. Like I get it. Like I've for the last year and a half, I've watched, you know, blind guys flying and do it. Like, you know, I, I've, I'm good. I've seen, I've seen it all at this point. Uh, dudes with um, <laughs> penetrable skin. Uh, so no, that that um, that did not bother me. Now, was this origin different than the book from like 1960, whatever I read? Because wasn't there someone? Wasn't it a different scenario where he gets the suit? I mean, kind. They made it more contemporary. Um, you know, it, it was a Cold War. I mean, this is from the early 60s, so certainly United States military involvement in Afghanistan was not a thing. Right. Um, but that's not going to be even the guy. I thought it wasn't like, um, I man, just misremembering it. I thought it was like more of like an enemy that for some reason helped him create it versus like a captive doctor. But maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm just mixing everything up. Not really. I mean, the, the general, the broad strokes are quite okay. faithful. So it was another guy that was held hostage and yep. Okay. Got it. That was one of the few things I remember. Like I read when I was reading, um, back then when I started, yeah, I mean, the details don't line up exactly. The ethnicity certainly don't line up exactly, but it's another one of those you can hand wave away pretty easily. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, the, I mean, you want to get right down to it. The comics origin was a lot more racist. There was some really, mm-hmm. I mean, reading that for Marvel age, we were all sort of clutching our pearls a little bit and, you know, 2018, 2019, whatever it was, but again, product of its time. Um, okay, so Tony builds this kind of clunky, bulky suit of armor that he can move around in. Garbage can with a head. It is. <laughs> it, it, which one it was. Again, this is very faithful to the comics as well. That's yes, what that absolutely. thing looked like. Yep. <laughs> and I was impressed that they did that in this movie. I was Me like, too. Me too. I. You know, I wasn't sure they were going to go there because <laughs> it's it didn't last long in the comics either. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, he affects his escape in pretty impressive fashion. This is our first real extended like action scene of the movie. Um, are you still engaged, JT? Are you digging this action here? Yeah. Yep. I was. And like you said, they made it modern, um, which helps. You know, like. Although I will say, like, and I know it's just how it is with the comic stuff. Like, I had this problem with the Marvel. Like, everything's either police or army related, you know. But it is what it is. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the way to tell the story. Like, where else are these guys going to be fighting? But um, 
I'll, I'll be curious how much of a trope it is going forward stuff like is it all always got the military or the police involved like, i do feel like they've leaned on that like a little too much in the netflix shows where it was constant but yeah police corruption bad cops and yeah or whatever. dudes being on the tape whatever right right so uh jensen uh sacrifices himself he's trying to buy tony some time they have this uh, somewhat emotional farewell, establishes that Jensen's family is actually long dead, and he's going to be reuniting with them, and tells Tony not to waste his life. And Tony uh, takes to the sky, we establish this thing, can fly in some mm-hmm. form or fashion, um, crashes in the desert, and this suit explodes into a million pieces. He's found, retrieved by Rhodey, and and that's pretty much the end of our first act here in Iron Man. What uh, was the time frame he was gone? How many? He days? said three six months. Six months? Or is it three months? Maybe. He does say it when he comes back. Is he at three or six? Yeah. I forget. He said I was gone X amount of months. Okay. He said three months, and I want two things. I want an American cheeseburger, and I want a press conference. There we go. Now, I will say, after... Three months in captivity, he can be forgiven for wanting a Burger King. Right, of all the burgers. Could, this guy's a billionaire. Of all the burgers, he could have gotten <laughs> with the Burger King. Even like a cheap fast food burger, he, yeah. you know, you really are reaching for Burger King. But I don't know. Right. Isn't he in California? Let's go to In-N-Out or something, yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, God, yeah. That must be the PTSD. So, <laughs> Or In-N-Out didn't want to pay the, uh, probably. <laughs> the advertising price that Burger King did. Yeah. And at this press conference, he announces he is pulling out of weapons manufacturing. Uh, and Obadiah is kind of running in to do damage control right away uh, because he's more kind of the company guy telling that company line. I didn't think we saw a lot of Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane in this movie, but mm-hmm. he certainly has a presence when he is on screen. Uh, they, they make the most of that. And... I think in some of the deleted scenes, you do see some more of him. But um, I didn't think they really left anything out essential to No, but I will say, that was one of the things I struggled with, honestly, was how quick um, his turn, like, like for someone that didn't know who he was. I mean, I assumed he was going to end up being bad. Uh, I, I just figured that was coming. But when they show him, like, in that picture, when they're showing the history of Tony and everything, and how this guy guided the company and all that i mean you kind of figure but then i was thinking oh maybe this will be the one time where it's not you know maybe he really will just be like mm-hmm. his his backbone and all this stuff so that part um like i didn't think that was explained very well and then as soon as like it all comes apart like i just feel like and i guess we'll get there but everything from okay he's like losing his mind he's turning on tony he tried to kill tony knows everyone knows Okay, now they're trying to get him. Like, like that was all like three minutes. Like it felt like mm-hmm. to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like it goes escalate so fast. Like, and I guess this. And I don't want to belabor the point, but coming from a world where it, it took six episodes to get the proof, you know, burden of proof and prove the point that this guy's bad, you know, to all of a sudden within like, yep, everyone just all right, everyone gets the file, shows the security guys, and we're off and running. Like now everyone's after him and he's evil. So like that escalated really quickly. Um, the other thing too, I'll be interested to see is how much because uh, now we've already seen it. I've watched two and a half movies, and in all three of them so far, the gimmick has been uh, the heel or the bad guy is mimicking the superhero, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
that's another trope I'm hoping. And again, it was something we saw in the Netflix stuff as well. Doesn't become like a super norm in this world. Like everyone, okay, this guy's gonna be a jacked up Hulk. This guy's gonna be a fake Iron Man. You know, it's like <laughs> like we need to see that in every movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Good point. All good points all around. In fact, it it does sort of feel like with Obadiah's character. Obadiah is such a fun name to say. <laughs> Obadiah. <laughs> Obadi, Obadiah. I picture him being more like Amish though with that name. Like a I picture like bit. a yeah. shop. <laughs> yeah. He got the yeah, beard. I mean, he does have the beard. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, also, we does... saw Agent Coulson there for a bit talking to yes Pepper at the Pops. press conference. Yeah, he Agent Coulson, who is uh, sort of introducing himself to Pepper, says he is with the. Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. Uh, he wants to debrief mm. Tony Stark. Now, I want to debrief this. Tony Stark. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to your point, JT, it, it does seem like they sacrificed a bit of Obadiah's development or just mm-hmm. what should have been maybe some foreshadowing for the sake of doing the twist, which I don't know how much you really gain in that because I think a lot of people just saw the twist coming anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a super shocking development. Oh, the best friend is really the villain, you know? So that's, I mean, it's, it's sort of neither here nor there for me because I was familiar with the comics character anyway, but I did like getting your take as someone who, doesn't know the comics and you're sort of wondering you sort of feel like you know where it's going but you still have some questions in the back of your mind are they going to commit to the swerve or are they going to you know really play it straight here but um yeah good stuff there and so uh, tony has had a change of heart literally right. um literally. <laughs> about his role as a uh, weapons manufacturer and that makes obadiah quite nervous Mm-hmm. And it's kind of making Rhodey nervous as well. He's not mm-hmm. super supportive of this either. They're not like super clear on his role though. Like, why is he so tied into the? I mean, I know. is he just in charge of all weapons for the entire military? Like, he seems to have a ton of power, right? <laughs> yeah, he just like, he shows up and can cancel everything and do this and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and like, where is this little like? I, don't know, I hate to jump ahead, but this is what's on my mind. So at the end, like where he goes and stops them from triggering the army you know where the hell he does he's like just whatever oh, it's just nothing just a training exercise like where's this little bunker like it seems like it's this main hub and he gets there like kind of fast so is this some um, the base in in california and what is his role is it local is it national he didn't like he's holding press conferences so like he seems like a real big deal is he in the cabinet like what is his job you know it's it technically is. he is the liaison between Stark Industries and the United States Air Force in the Department of Acquisitions, specifically weapons development. Okay. So in other words, he's like the guy who goes and buys the – he's pretty much a delivery boy. <laughs> the great scheme of things. The middleman. The middleman. He goes to oh, Tony, yeah. buys his stuff, and then brings it back to the house. <laughs> pretty much okay. what he is, I guess. And it's specifically for the Air Force. Mm. For the Air Force, correct. Yeah. So I don't know. Do we have a version of Rhodey for the Navy, for the Army? I don't know. Uh, we don't see these these people. Uh, there is, I do want to call out, a great scene with Tony kind of enlisting Pepper's help mm. to replace the arc reactor. Oh, my God. 
It was seen as fucking hilarious. It gave me yeah, so much anxiety one. for like germs, though. Like I know. I'm like, it's she did not wash thing. her hand before she put her like, whole hand in there. Are, in there. are you kidding me? It is <sighs> hilarious, though. It's like the Operation Game. Yeah, don't touch. That's that what he compares it to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See, but I don't think she was actually reaching into his chest. I think there was like a like a socket in there. You know right, what I mean? So she's yeah, not actually but... going. She's not like getting into like where anything that would be infected. It was more like a tin cup kind of thing, right? That she's just plugging yeah. the thing. Into. But yeah. still, like, still. It's, it's in his that, body. You'll save his life. What are you going to do? You don't have time to wash your hands. Sometimes you just got to go with it. Some germix. She's very oogged out, thinks that she's feeling pus, and he says, <laughs> no, no, it's it's an inorganic plasma discharge. <laughs> so you figure, that's got to be enclosed. That, to your point, JT, that can't it's just machine pus running all over his, you know, right. viscera and everything. So Midian. Or is Midian. <laughs> I just really wanted to say Still, viscera. Still, if somebody's reaching their hand in my chest, please wash your hands first. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, do it before I die. Either way. Yeah. But it conveys a lot, this scene. I mean, it is very funny. It is sort of mm-hmm. gross and anxiety-inducing. But I, I thought they did shows... a good job with the, the humor throughout all this. Like, I thought they, it felt natural. None of it felt mm-hmm. forced. Um, I'm sure part of that is this Robert Downey Jr.'s affability. But I, I thought he was... A lot of it was smooth and easy. It wasn't. A lot of times yeah. you make it like kind of forced comedy in these with some of these movies, but I thought his was very clean and natural. Really speaks to her commitment to her job and and to him, quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, and and just the trust that he has in her as well. Just throughout yes. this mm-hmm. kind of gross exchange, so I I definitely singled that out. I, I really enjoyed that scene, and I. I don't know. It might be my favorite part of this movie in just a weird way. Um, but yeah, this leads into Tony developing that Mark II armor as more sleek and form-fitting. Uh, we get not quite a montage, but it shows him just doing some trial and error. That, oh, uh, I love this part. Kind mm-hmm. of is, yeah, uh, ends badly for him uh, it, on at least one occasion. He gets launched into the wall. Um more of the humor that, that we're going to see throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And look at these 2008 graphics. They look mm-hmm. so good. Like, I mm-hmm. was yeah. expecting yep. it to look so dated, and it does not. None of it does. Nope. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, oh yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Right, you could have told me this was, like, four years ago, and I yeah, probably would have yeah. been fine. Yeah. Outside was, of the phone. It makes me wonder if they, like, remastered any of these, or... Because I... I don't know why. I just don't remember being that crisp, or maybe I've just seen too much and I don't remember that that's what it looked like. But um, yeah, it was be. awesome. I mean, I remember it being very impressive for the time. Mm-hmm. And again, with this movie that you didn't necessarily expect a whole lot from, you're going, "Holy shit! This is uh, pretty, pretty cutting edge stuff." Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're going to get kind of a special effects spectacle with any superhero film, but this did it a lot better than most. And I mean, looking at the budget, it was, this was made on $140 million. Yeah. Yes. Yep. 140. So, wow. Um, look at the budget of these films today. I know, right? <laughs> Many yeah. orders of magnitude more than that. So, <clears throat> um, okay. So Mark II armor, uh, Tony kind of takes this out on a joyride and uh, has that issue with 
the joints freezing up in the upper atmosphere, that's going to come back around what in a pretty a great cool way. Scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. This also introduces his like onboard AI known as Jarvis, and Jarvis is voiced by Paul Bettany, who will make his way into this series proper. And that's correct. Pretty awesome that they could do that. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll, we will get there. Um, anyway, we then sort of get the, I guess, twist the reveal that we were talking about with Obadiah. He is actually like trying to undermine Tony Stark. Um, he's already told him that the board, the board of directors wants him out of Stark international um, but Obadiah is also going behind his back. He's still going to be selling weapons to these guys. He's actually selling them to this terrorist group, the Ten Rings. So he's sort of sort of playing both sides here as Obadiah Stane. And again, we talked about how whether this particular development worked or not, um, I think it's fine just to kind of propel that third act of the film. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of gets the job done for it, it does what it needs to do mm-hmm. and eventually we see tony develop like a mark three version of his armor this is you know getting closer and closer to the iconic uh red and gold iron man that we're all so very familiar with mm-hmm. and boy does it look awesome yes it does it's amazing. uh it, he does more than take it out on a joyride. He sort of like liberates this small <laughs> village in Afghanistan. It's so amazing how quickly he falls in love with it, right? Like building mm-hmm. it, yeah, becomes obsessed with it. Has these like deep plans about what he wants to use it for, and um, and it's very new for him. Like he's not used to feeling like this, and. Um, everything that he went through in the desert has really changed his life and his outlook on everything. Yeah. So it's, but he doesn't know how to do anything little. So it's it has to be, you know, big time with Tony. So he right. he's not going to go and like do a Spider Man, uh, you know, and stop a robbery or something. He's going to fly halfway across the world and do something insane because that's who he is. And there's something to the idea that. This is how he is working through his trauma. Yes. As he said, he has to go big. He's not going to acknowledge that uh, I'm really fucked up after being imprisoned and essentially tortured Mm -hmm. physically and psychologically for three months. Um, I'm not going to sit in a therapist's office and talk about my feelings. I'm just, that's just not what Tony Stark is going to do. He's going to go ball out, yeah. Yeah, he he goes really big, and he kind of sees it as, uh, I have this newfound sense of purpose, I have kind of this moral calling, and I have the power to do something, so I'm going to do it. And it's this, I don't know, there's, it kind of plays out as this power fantasy, which a lot of things in the superhero genre do, but it's still a very, very impactful scene, this the first time we really see him in action and he just, he saves all those people. Um, you know, you don't see the geopolitical implications of that or whatever, but that's not what this movie is. So I don't know. I, I definitely took to, to that scene also. Um, 
what do you think of seeing Iron Man in action, JT? Were you fist pumping along with the yeah, yeah, they did a good job like of uh, meeting the hype of that first flight and him realizing what he can do. And I think the groundwork they laid out that you mentioned earlier of him kind of being a genius and a tinker and inventor, like it, it makes it more, adds a little more believability that he can kind of tinker and figure it out on the fly, right? He's got his kind of trusty AI with him, but he is able to coordinate and build all this and tweak it as he's going. To me, that was a little bit more believable because of the groundwork they put in and establishing just how smart he is, genius level. Mm-hmm. Scott, uh, you you write along with us on this uh, action scene. We get the iconic shot, too, that you have to have in every superhero film of, of the hero blowing something up and walking <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Uh, what I also liked about this first scene is that he's, even though obviously being in the desert got him humbled to begin with, I kind of liked that they made him broke his uh, back, made him humble. He, yeah. He. Uh, yeah. Well, he. Um, you know, like he wasn't. He didn't get it right the first time. Like you know, mm-hmm. you you would have figured, oh, I'm in my workshop. I got my you know millions of dollars of equipment. I can make this in no time flat. And he still had issues. And the joints froze, and the shit blew up, and everything. He blew the cars up, and all that. So, and stepped on them, and, and all that. So, the fact that it that as much of a genius as he was, it wasn't coming easy to him actually fascinated me because, um, you don't totally see that in the 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 Tony in the books uh, that he was flawed in that aspect. They kind of, you know, the one thing about movies that's sometimes better than the comics themselves is that the comics don't have time for that kind of um character growth and that i liked here and throughout this movie and the second one which i know you're jr you're getting in you're in now uh a lot of the flaws of him as a person not not just oh yeah well he's a you know he's a, a playboy and a dick sometimes but the fact that even as a genius not everything is perfect and you know he builds his first suit and bang he's done uh, the mm-hmm. fact that he had to keep working on it proves that that he's still he's even flawed at his best, and I think that um, adds a lot to his character throughout this movie and the next one. Absolutely, yeah. yep. Um, so meanwhile, we've got Obadiah. He is meeting with the Ten Rings. He's using some uh, gimmicks to take out the the head warlord, I guess, in charge of those guys. And Pepper, of all people, actually learns that Obadiah is the one behind all of this. He was the greater power. It was him all along. What do you mean? He hired the Ten Rings to kill oh Tony Stark. So I don't trust the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> well, he worked around with a hood. Especially Amish, Amish with uh, Stark Industries gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Which, um, <laughs> yeah, are pretty impressive here. Um, we also, but in any case, we missed a scene yep, there where um, he and Pepper have a moment, a dance, because she looks amazing mm-hmm. in this backless dress. And mm-hmm. um, then he takes her on the roof and he wants to try to make out, but she's still like, eh, you're my boss. And I don't know about she all this. She wants some olives. Yeah. So she's like, um, instead of making out, let's get drunk. So mm-hmm. a nice scene. Very very dirty martini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a, a nice, another nice scene between the two of them. Just to show that 
if no one else still has his back, then Pepper Potts does. Mm-hmm. And she still believes him, in him. So, yeah. Uh, but now that she has learned what uh, Obadiah has really been up to, she is going to present this information to good old Agent Colson of S.H.I.E.L.D. Are they called S.H.I.E.L.D. yet? Not exactly. Not but yet. Uh, they're working on the name. So, uh, yeah, it's this fun little kind of cat and mouse game that ensues between she and Obadiah. Um, he catches on to her, and she uh, she grabs Phil and is like, yep, we're meeting right now. Come with me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just like I like seeing her resourcefulness and sort of getting over on, on Obadiah like this, who has been revealed as the big bad. Um, he has reversed. He has found the remnants of the original Mark One Iron Man armor. He's reverse engineering that, and he's going to build a suit for himself. He is going to become the Iron Monger, which is something that he called himself and Tony earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, I think for some people this could potentially be a bridge too far. A little bit, <laughs> um, but. I mean, it does come so late in the movie that they sort of earn it, right? They have enough goodwill that you're just going to be on board with whatever they want to do for their big conclusion here. And uh, I don't think they overplay their hand at all. Like, this doesn't go as big and ridiculous as it could. Um, I mean, it is pretty big and ridiculous, but it's it's not off the charts. They know they're still in first movie territory here, (laughs) so... Yeah, and like I said, I mean, the only issue for me was more around how quick it it just happens. Like, yeah. she tells them they believe her, they figure it out, they catch him, but he's already, like, on the red page. Like, that escalation happens real fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I do kind of like that that issue with the joints freezing comes back and, and mm-hmm. bites Obadiah in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, love that. Although it is not the kill shot, notably. Uh-huh. Um. No, that was a good near fall. That was a good, a good tease. Yeah, good fall. Near fall. <laughs> I did like the um, scene, too, where uh, he shocks him or whatever, and he uh, basically Rose comes in and ends up helping him out because mm-hmm. he saves him in the room or when Obadiah stuns right. uh, and Tony to put him into shock or whatever to go take over. Yeah, and there's a nod to what Rhodey's role is going to be in subsequent films as well, where he, he kind of takes a look at that, that Mark two armor and says next time, baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing they, they could have gone there in this movie, but I think they're very disciplined to keep it pretty centered on. This is Tony Stark's story. This is him becoming a hero and we're not going to clutter it up with a bunch of other characters. How um, fucked up is that scene where Obadiah takes the um, reactor out of his chest and just leaves yes. him there on the couch, and he looks oh yeah like death? Oh my god, how mm-hmm. fucked up, man! Yeah, no, and I, I do like. Is that the one? It's in there too, right? With a um, he's trying to get the other one in the mechanical arm, like knocks it down for him or whatever. Like I thought, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah, dummy, dummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dummy has more character development than like lead protagonist superheroes in a lot of other films <laughs> like dummy i think is more of a hero than superman and superman returns <laughs> 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 it's 
<laughs> it's kind of amazing. He redeems himself, poor little dummy. Very, very much so. Um, so yeah, you, you get the old arc reactor, replaces the one that Obadiah swiped, and yeah, we're back in business. We get that big climactic fight. Um, anything you wanted to comment on there, JT, with this fight scene? or Is it one of those, it is what it is <laughs> to you? Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a fight scene that ended the, the fight. Yeah, I think whatever, it was it was executed fine. I liked the callback to the ice. Uh, I got, it made me feel good that they were going to start laying seeds a lot of times early on in these movies and pay them off. Like, there was a couple things. Like, one was uh, Pepper giving him the gift of the old reactor. Mm-hmm. And yep. then, that, of course, you know, you figured that would come back, and it does, right? So she keeps it for a reason and ends up saving him. And then... The test run with the with the freezing up in the atmosphere pays off at the end because he knows if he gets just a little bit higher that Obadiah will freeze and crash. And like I said, I like that near fall too until the end. And it was better that he beats him kind of hand to hand anyway. So worked out well. Yes. So uh, the end comes when Pepper overloads the reactor core and sort of establishing early what's going to be a trope of a lot of these movies, like a bunch of shit either shooting up to or shooting down from the sky. <laughs> um, yeah. This great energy beam that sort of engulfs the roof and uh, kills Obadiah. Tony survives, barely, but he's the hero, so he's going uh, to get a sequel here. Um, and that's pretty much Iron Man. However... He does call another press conference mm-hmm. to announce that uh, he's sort of beating around the bush a little bit, but ultimately he's just like, okay, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> Did you see that coming? Uh, no. No, I didn't. I didn't think he was going to admit it because you don't get that much. Like, I couldn't think of any off the top of my head really that where it was well known, at least the ones I've seen, that a guy was the hero, superhero. You know what I mean? So I didn't. Yeah. I, I thought they may tease it, but I didn't think um, I didn't think he'd come out straight out and say it, and then everyone would just know he's Iron Man. So I thought that was kind of it was a neat ending, and they really nailed the line into the music. Like I mm. thought that that was like a perfect ending, um, mm-hmm. right? It, like I don't think you could have written a better one with the "I am Iron Man" and then going into Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was tremendous. We will see that <sighs> secret identities are kind of not a thing and i mean there are a few exceptions but for the most part in the marvel cinematic universe they're not really gonna do that okay uh which is something that i appreciate just because it is it it gets harder and harder to justify i think over time Mm -hmm. and especially in the age we live in now it's there's just no way really and I guess in the Netflix ones, I mean, I think Matt Murdock was he the only one that really was kind of, everyone else, I guess, was known there, too. Like Luke Cage, everyone knew. Yeah. Everyone pretty much knew Danny Rand was Iron Fist. Yeah, Jessica, obviously. Good. And mm-hmm. then Punisher, everyone knew Frank Castle. So, yeah, I think, I guess Daredevil was really the only one. Um, right. yep. The yep. really big one that they hid. And it's not like Tony to try to um, hide it. Be yeah. subtle. So. <laughs> exactly. No, it actually it actually fits his personality. It's well, per, it actually made perfect sense. Made perfect sense. Yeah, it is a, kind of a departure, <laughs> kind of a departure from the comics, where for the better part of the character's existence, the line was that Iron Man was Tony Stark's bodyguard, and Correct. 
eventually they they did do away with that, and he's just publicly known. And, and that had happened by 2008 here. So, okay, that is Iron Man. Now, we do get, after the end credits, uh, a bit of fan service, and that is a man in an eye patch who approaches Tony Stark out of the dark and tells him that he is part of a bigger world. And we, as comics fans, instantly, immediately recognize this character as Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And this is Samuel L. Jackson. In a mm-hmm. cameo, he's going to appear in so very many of these films down the line. Um, I think the comics fans in attendance in, in 2008 seeing this film were um, kind of going crazy uh, after this reveal. That was something that no one saw coming. I, I can tell you for my part, I did know that there were other films in development, but I didn't think they would be this interconnected. Um, I didn't think they would start it this early. Mm-hmm. Also, didn't really think they could pull it off because you always heard of movie studios trying to do this sort of thing, but somehow right. or another it would fall apart. Yeah, that was one of my questions too. Like I immediately sprinted to ask you guys was like, what was your reaction? Did everyone know? Was this a huge surprise? Was everyone just freaking out when they realized like more of this stuff was coming and they were going to intertwine it? And uh, obviously already pretty much teasing that Iron Man and Robert Downey Jr. would be back on some level, whether it's another movie or other movies where he would pop up. So mm. um, that did jump out of me. I, I made sure to stick through. I knew that was like one of the common threads of these movies is the post credit scene. So I made sure I fast forwarded to the very end and checked it out. So I didn't miss it. But I, I got to say, I don't think I don't think there's I think that I think the the. Marvel created that. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than bloopers yeah. and stuff back in the day, this was this pretty much Marvel pretty much created the post credit scene. Um, others have used it, other movies, other you know, but but Marvel like perfected it. And uh, I don't know to this day, any movie I see, even if it's not even close to a Marvel movie, I sit till the end. I used to never sit till the end. I always right. left when the credits right. came up, but. Now it doesn't even matter whether it's a Marvel movie or not. I always stay at the end. Yeah. And they they they've been, they've been, they've trained us as <laughs> as moviegoers to actually do that. Right. So I applaud them it's, for that. It's a way of taking a page out of the comics themselves and saying to be continued. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. So you yeah, gotta love that. JT, how did you even know that there was like a post? Did you know that that was just something that all these movies did? Does yeah, I knew it was just a trope. You up? Yeah, I, I just I know people. I've seen people say like, I mean, as far back for years, like on Facebook or whatever, like, oh, make sure you stay to the end, stay to the end. Like, I remember just seeing that left and right, so I made sure I just stuck with it. Mm. Gotcha. I didn't know if it gotcha. started that early, but I figured, well, I'm here. Let me just <laughs> let me just check. Yeah, and and what's cool about this is that this version of Nick Fury is he's actually from the Ultimate Comics imprint, and that's version of the character is patterned after Samuel L. Jackson. When that character first appeared on the page, everyone went, hey, look, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, really? So, I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. back in the early 2000s. Um, I think it was in either Ultimate X-Men or Ultimate Spider-Man. I think I first saw him in Ultimate X-Men that he made his first appearance, and it's like, oh, okay, 
ultimate Nick Fury, this version of the character, he's he's just Samuel L. Jackson with an eye patch. That works. <laughs> and I mean, supposedly they like cleared it with him and everything. Like he hmm. was very cool with with that, being the comics fan that he is. So by the same token, you see Samuel L. Jackson appear as a character in one of these movies. You go, ah, it's Nick Fury. There you go. It just it just worked very very well. All right. Well, um, so I wanted to just get a couple of little um, awards out of the way just to kind of wrap things up. Um, let's go with best character, um, Scott. Well, Tony. Of yeah, course. let's do second best because I think I'm disputed. Tony, who's <laughs> okay, your second best? Second best, then. Yeah, you uh, know, I think it should be if we do this going forward, we should always just leave the main hero out and say like best character, like that wasn't the main hero. Um, Pepper. Good answer. Pepper, I I, I actually, and I'm not the biggest Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but yeah, I'm I love Pepper too. I like Pepper. Yeah, me too, even though I just kept thinking of her talking. <laughs> Shallow Pepper. Oh, wow. Talking to Ron Darling, yeah. Yeah, I'm also going to say Pepper because, I mean, she feels like a character in this movie. She's not just the love interest. Yeah. They don't do the damsel in distress thing. She's very capable and contributes a lot. And shout out to Happy. I thought he was good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yeah. um, and the robots. <laughs> the robots. <laughs> but yeah, look, Dummy is third, third best. Um, what about worst character? Uh, I wasn't that big into Obadiah, honestly. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just it just seemed very generic to me, and it happened so fast. Like, I don't think you really like he came across as a real prick. Obviously, he ordered the hit on him, but mm-hmm. I didn't get like a true feel for wanting to hate this guy. Like, outside of just being the superficial reasons. Yeah, I agree with that. Amish Obadiah. <laughs> That's offense. <laughs> I. <laughs> um. But they'll never know. But they'll never know. <laughs> I got That was actually. <laughs> that was horrible. That how was dare really you, bad. sir? Um, how how dare you? <laughs> I gotta say, I. Uh, and it's probably because the actor, but I did not like Rhodey. Not a Terrence Howard fan. Okay. Well, I Nate he... Milton will be very disappointed to hear that. I liked Rhodey, Nate. He's my fave. <laughs> Rhodey, Nate. Uh, I did not like. I'm not a Terrence Howard fan, and I and I can understand now why he, they didn't bring him back. I just right. don't think he fit. I think he was too. You needed a you needed an actor in that slot who who looked comfortable being like mm-hmm. th- second or third fiddle, and I don't think Terrence Howard ever feels that way. Mm. So I think the move to Don Cheadle was, was an exceptional choice. Yeah, all right, we'll say that conversation on man too. Yeah, 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 but. But uh, but yeah, Terrence. I, I was not a fan of Rhodey in this movie. He got better as he went along. Um, best scene. I'm gonna go with. Hmm, I really love the first suit flight. Mm. Like a lot, and and even rewatching it was just even better. Like I think it's really underrated in MCU moments. Tony's first flight. That's a good one. Him coming back and saving the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that's... that was well done. And then the one, like I mentioned earlier, where Obadiah takes the thing out of his chest and then mm-hmm. Dummy and Rhodey team up to save him. I actually like the. I, th- I think I like the scene where 
Pepper was unhealthily trying to put the thing back in his chest mm. because no, she didn't use thing. any yeah. sanitizer. I think <laughs> I uh, I love that scene. I really do. A lot of good uh, chest porn in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Revenge chest. Revenge chest. <laughs> Revenge Asian chest. Or whatever you said before. All out Asian. I like, I like the one, too, with the... Uh, when they drink in the plane, like where he's like, I don't oh, want to drink, yeah, I don't want to drink. And then they show him fucking hammered and partying. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Rhodey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> overall grade, Justin. Um. All right, so we're going to go out of is, 10, I guess. Letters, star, numbers, stars. Star ratings. <laughs> we're doing star ratings. Star rating out of five? Out all right. Five, star yes. And then I'm going to rank these as I go, too. I'm keeping my little list. But, um, uh, I have no frame of reference, right? So, like, I know there's probably ones that are going to get better. So I hate to say this is, like, but I liked it a lot. So I'm going to go with a safe four stars. Like, I think it's safe because that, that speaks that it's really, that it was really good out of the gate, a strong start. But I do think that I know that there's going to be stuff probably better to come just because of the advancement and technology and writing and all that. And the more comfortable they get the characters, et cetera. I feel like that's pretty accurate. Four stars for me too, although that feels horrible. But like you said, like there are better things coming. Right. If you say this is five, then I mean, you're saying that the best of the best later is as good as this. We'll see. Guess what? Uh, Having a, the big frame of reference and just having seen all these movies pretty recently, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a big four and Three quarter stars. Okay, wow. Well, three quarter stars. Well, wow. And I'm going to feel fine about that. Well, that makes me feel shaky about the future. <laughs> well, I think we're peaking. I'm done. <laughs> well, I mean, Sorry. there's not. I, there could be five five star films in this franchise. That's you don't true. know how I'm going to rate. That's you don't know how I'm going to rate these. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Scott, um, I am going to go just a scoosh below. I'm going to go three and three quarters. Um, Ooh. I thought it was a good, uh, it's a great movie. Um, again, I, I got to take the notch off because I just did not like Rhodey. And, and unfortunately, he was very pro- prominent in this movie. But I did love Pepper. And I like Obadiah. Um, I like Warmonger in the, in the books. So I was I liked that he was the bad guy. Loved Tony. I think Robert Downey was a great pick considering guys like Tom Cruise were, and Nicolas Cage were thought of. Uh, which mm-hmm. makes me shudder to think that in so many ways. Um Skeletal Nicolas Cage and that and douchey <laughs> fucking Tom Cruise. God, that would have been terrible. Um, there's two. There's two levels of Tom Cruise: good and douchey. Um, if Tom Cruise was asked in 1986, different story. But anyway, no. Um, it, it was it was a, it was very good. But there's better Tony to come. Hmm. Um, so it's a good start. It's a good start. It's a great start. I right. could maybe be talked down to four and a half, but that that is low as I could possibly. <laughs> I love this movie. It's yeah. one of my favorite movies. It really mm. is. Marvel Cinematic Universe or no. I forgot how much I loved it. Um, well, hopefully um, this podcast is uh, f- at least four stars. Um, yeah. For our first episode. Um, ran a little long, I think, but... Um, there's a lot to talk about. This is the beginning of an amazing mm-hmm. journey through infinity. Um, and beyond. And See, I almost mm-hmm. added that, but I didn't. <sighs> Get our right. franchises mixed. 
Real quick, um, let's just tell everybody where you can be found with social media and what you got going on. Um, coming up, Tim. Uh, I am at Psych68 on Twitter, C-Y-K-E-6-8. And you can find me on this feed, the Jenny position. I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, where we recently had another edition of our show together, Jenny. Talking pop with our guest, Nate Milton. Got a lot of good engagement on that episode because Nate is so very wonderful. Isn't he? Um, and one of the best people. Yes. Uh, also on Place to be Nation Pop uh, had an episode of the Marvel Age podcast looking at some comics from 1972 from Marvel, who publishes Iron Man. Did we look at any Iron Man comics? Uh, not this go-around, but <laughs> we'll see him again soon. Uh, on the Place to be Nation wrestling feed, we also have a show, Jenny this with Greg Phillips as well. It is called Talkin' WCW. Mm -hmm. uh, our most recent episode behind us, we looked at, who was it? The Man Called Sting, which I know you were very um, enthusiastic about, and you will be equally enthusiastic about our next episode coming <laughs> soon. It is on WCW Bret Hart. So, believe it or not, we are going there. Can't wait. What about you? I chose my match, Jenny. I chose my match. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Okay. I'll tell you what it is off here. Okay. Tease. All right. What about you, Scott? Um, well, on the uh, wrestling feed, uh, you can catch uh, – well, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at PTB Godfather. Uh, on the wrestling feed, you can check out myself and this fine gentleman to my left or right, depending on how you're thinking about it while listening, for the Place to Be podcast, the gold standard. And uh, we just uh, we, we drop a, almost every other week. Um, also, Place Be Nation's main event with the aforementioned Mr. Milton and Steve Willie, the Wildcat, as you guys call him. And uh, we talk modern day wrestling. Uh, I also uh, have another great uh, or on another great show on the wrestling feed with you, dear Jenny and the Gems. We just dropped a tremendous episode on uh, the Great American Bash tour in 1988, Greensboro. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely the fantastic. Rack. The Rick Rack and some tremendous hillbilly front uh, rowers there. And your hatred of the Fantastics or your liking of the Fantastics. No, I'm trying to remember. Um, liking. Liking the Fantastics. On the pop feed, uh, myself and Andy Atherton co-host the Year in Pop where we take a year and go through everything that went on. TV, movies, music, sports, uh, news, pop culture, etc. And uh, yeah, by the way, we also will be posting soon. Uh, depending on when this posts, it may already be up. Uh, a preview pod for Place to Be Nation's uh, sitcom tournament, greatest sitcom of all time tournament. Myself and Andy and Mr. Todd Weber uh, previewed the tournament, uh, and very extensively, much more than I thought, but very extensively. And uh, and uh, check it out. So a lot of stuff on uh, both feeds. Justin? Yep. Uh, place number two B Nation on Twitter. That's me, and then uh, you can just find me on Facebook. If you know me, you'll find me, or just go to facebook.com backslash Place to Be Nation. Hit us up there. Scott mentioned Place to Be podcast. Jenny, you and I, and Damato on the Extreme Three Way Dance, going through the history of ECW. That's every other week, and then I'm with Chad Campbell on Wrestling Warzone. That's on the wrestling feed as well. We're going through the the original Monday Night Wars. Uh, we're into the early '96, and then we just kicked off our brand new. 
game show podcast as well on the wrestling feed, uh, Body Press Your Luck. We had the first episode uh, for November dropped last week, and episode two will be coming in December. Ooh, what an incestuous group we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all potting with each other. Yeah, we yep. are. Um, I'm at Jenny Position on Twitter, on Facebook page, and... Coming up, you can hear an episode of Freak Out Drive-In with Peter Winston, where we watch The Village, and it's probably the weirdest podcast I've ever done. And um, <laughs> A weird podcast with Peter? With no Peter, way. I know, that's a belief. No way, right? But um, I, I haven't edited it yet, but my memory of it was uh, quite hilarious. So uh, listen to that, and... Do or do not watch The Village, just depending on your opinion on The Village, because a lot of people have opinions about that movie. Um, Let me know what they are. I'd be interested in hearing that. Um, Coming up, you'll have a new episode of Telling Stories, and then Geek and Sassy will have um, an episode, too. So check all of those out, and thank you for coming with me on this journey through infinity.